You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Collective Cafe, a virtual coffee experience which takes place every single Monday through Friday, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in both Alpha Collective's Discord, that's discord.gg forward slash alpha collective and Startup Club's house in Clubhouse. It's free. It always will be free. There are no strings attached. There is no bait and switch. Lurk or listen only. Chat with one another in our back chat or even come onto stage. The coffee shop is open for business. Whether you're on the treadmill getting the kids ready for school, getting yourself ready for work, commuting into that big bad city, or maybe just even commuting from your bedroom to your home office. On Monday, we manifest. On Tuesday, we talk thought leadership. On Wellness Wednesday, we discuss mental health, wellness, and life skills. On Thursday, we do live book reads and discussions with the author. And then on Friday, it's No Agenda Friday, where there is no agenda. Start your day off on the right foot, on the front foot, with virtual coffee, with the collective cafe, where we mastermind, we manifest, we collaborate, we help one another at the business of Web3 or anything else that intersects, whether it's culture, collaboration, creativity, innovation, disruption, entrepreneurship or coaching. So give us a subscribe, bit.ly forward slash collective cafe to go, or a review on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening on demand or of course join us every day live it is addictive and remember it is a safe welcoming space and you will never ever be put on the spot this is alpha collective's collective cafe my name is joseph jaffe well good morning good morning everybody <clears throat> just as i say that i get the frog in my throat which is Oh, for the course. The frog just, the frog is the frog. Hello, Danny. Nice to see you. You're becoming a little bit of a regular, which I love. Um, I wonder if you collected your poet. Did you collect your poet? Give me the uh, the thumbs up or the thumbs down or, uh, because, hey, I'd like to, um, I'd like to make sure you get one. <clears throat> so let me see if I can find one for you. So the idea is, I'm, you know, I'm working hard with this company, but man, they are, they are difficult. Poet.xyz, they are so difficult to do business with. Um, they just make life so difficult. Um, I'm trying so hard to evangelize, to help grow the space, um, and they just kind of don't get it. So, you know, they want to charge, they want to charge me like $25 every time I do one of these drops. And I keep on saying to them, but, you know, it's just, it's just experimentation. The room is small. There's no, there's no commerce aspect. So they keep calling it commercial, but it isn't. I mean, it's more just like, hey, we're having virtual coffee in the morning, and those two links that I just placed now, if you if you click on them, it's like first come first serve. 
you'll basically end up getting a commemorative uh, badge, right? That badge says you had virtual coffee with me in the month of February. And uh, what it means is nobody else will ever be able to say that in the world because these are limited edition and they may be worth something one day and they may be something you just want to collect and they may be so maybe one day we we meet up uh, at a conference somewhere in the world and you'd be like, you know, I had coffee with you once in <clears throat> virtual coffee and you can show me that poet but it'll be sitting in a wallet on your phone. It, it's pretty cool. I, I love the idea and I think... Um, I mean, I'll give you the, the classic example. Imagine you went to the Super Bowl this year, right? Imagine you went to the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Or imagine you went to see U2 at the Sphere in, in Vegas. Um, how do you prove you were there? How do you prove? Maybe, you know, you used to get a ticket stub, and the ticket stub was a paper ticket stub, and, you know, you'd keep it, maybe you'd frame it if it was, like, really kind of, or put it in laminated or put it in a plastic sleeve, like if you went to the Super Bowl, sure. That's an option. These days, it these days it's kind of you know you you it goes into your Apple Wallet or it's a, a digital QR code. But is it commemorative? Is it a piece of art? Is it something that that you know where it's going to sit twenty years later? You can go and find that and say I was there. You know, be able to um, put it on a website or add it to a LinkedIn profile if you chose to, or if it, if it's business related, or what if you wanted to sell it. What if you wanted to sell it? I mean, there are plenty of people that buy programs or, you know, buy ticket stubs, etc., especially to meaningful um, moments or games or matches or whatever the case may be. So that's really the power of a poet. But I'm trying to get this, this company to understand that someone like myself is probably an asset to them. Why? Because, I'm a, because I can evangelize. I can go out there as an influence. I can talk to people about it. Um, I'm not being paid. I, I have no skin in the game other than believing in the product, the, the market, the business model. Um, so I'm just saying all of this because, <clears throat> you know, I put together a, a one for the Super Bowl um, on Monday to, and I just couldn't get it approved. They just wouldn't approve it. So I'm hoping once these two um, are claimed, the ones that I've just put into the chat, um, I'll be able to mint another 10 more. And, you know, every month be able to go 10, 10, 10. Every time I fill them, you know, we kind of add to them. Um, but as these uh, these sessions are small right now, you know, there were only 10 in January at the moment. There are only 10 in February. So there are some people that might end up this year collecting all 12. And maybe I'll buy them lunch or dinner if they have all 12. And you, for example, maybe you only have 11. Maybe you'll get something different, something slightly less, or maybe the same uh, as well. Um, so, yes, um, uh, exactly. Um, uh, of I um, just want to make sure I pronounce it. Uh, Fatim, Fatim Zara. Fatim Zara. It's like Fatima, but Fatim Zara. Uh, yes, it's like an NFT of memories. That's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a memory. It's a badge. It's a, you know, the POAP, the word POAP stands for Proof of Attendance Protocol. So being minted on the blockchain. And, uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be thought of as a token, you know, but it is, it, I just like to call it a badge. You know, it's a badge, it's a ticket stub. Um, I think it's, uh, I believe in it. And if poep.xyz can't figure it out or, or won't figure out how to work with people like me, hopefully there'll be other companies doing it and uh, I'll be able to work with them. So, uh, just a little bit about the Poep. So go ahead, uh, you know, uh, for Tim Zara. Uh, all you've got to do is click on it and, and uh, provide an email address. You don't 
actually have to even understand Web3, blockchain, crypto, anything like that because what they'll do, there is an app and I've got like hundreds of them that I've collected um, but but essentially it can be kept in what's called a custodial wallet so you don't have to give any of your, your details or you know you don't need credit cards, you don't need any of that. In fact, just an email address is enough to start. Um, and so as soon as I've exhausted these 10, Hopefully I can request another 10 and then there'll be uh, new ones in March and so on and so forth. So, um, it's Friday. It's typically what we call, you know, best of the week or open mic in the Collective Cafe. I'm thinking that I might actually go back to one of our live reads because we've been reading this book called Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary Executive. And um, it's been really interesting because it te- it's a fable, um, but it talks about culture and culture fit and the story of these two companies, these two consulting companies, very similar um, in terms of product offering, even pricing, but yet one is a strong culture, one is a weak culture. And this is, uh, you know, the story of the of one of them with the strong culture that um, that kind of um, didn't follow through on, on, on their hiring process and protocol, and they ended up essentially hiring potentially the wrong person. And so they're in an offside at the moment, and this person is now um, trying to ingratiate themselves, trying to, uh, you know, kind of earn the, curry the favor of the, the uh, founder of the company and the leadership team uh, after uh, the founder of the company or the CEO has said, I don't think you might be the right person. And this person, you know, is a little bit of a political animal, um, is realized, wait a second, I better be careful because if I lose my job or if I part ways, um, it's not going to look good on my resume. Um, so he's kind of in survival mode, and uh, so we might go back to that. But I want to tell um, uh, a quick story. You know, this week I've had uh, I've done four tapings. I have a talk show called Joseph Jeff is Not Famous, and I've done four tapings of the show. Um, and so today's the fourth. Uh, it's been a bit of a wild uh, ride. Um, amazing. Hello to uh, Tim, who's in our our Discord. Um, I had, um, uh, uh, I'll tell you all the, uh, the episodes of the show um, that I had. It was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then, and then finally I have a taping today. So um, I had Alex, um, uh, Alex Brokman. Uh, Alex Brokman is, uh, he's actually born in Germany, moved to Canada, and he's written a book called The, Stra- the Strategy uh, Legacy. And what was so interesting about the conversation is, you know, we're just talking about kind of legacy and about, um, I don't even know how the subject came up, but he spoke about how his grandfather fought in World War Two, And I'm like, wait a second, you're German, your grandfather fought in, Ger- in World War II. Um, so like dot, 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 I guess he was, you know, not really fighting on the good side, was he? Um, and we had a whole um, conversation about legacy and about, you know, kind of what defines you based on your past, based on, you know, uh, it was just a very, very honest account, um, very refreshing conversation. Um, then on uh, on Wednesday, I spoke with Doris Horenstein, and Doris wrote a book all, which is called Moments of the Heart. And really, and like, um, she's also a coach for uh, what's called positive intelligence. So we spoke about positive intelligence, positivity. Um, we spoke about leading with the heart. A really amazing conversation. And then yesterday, so yesterday was crazy. I, um, I spoke with Karen Eber, and uh, Karen just wrote a book called The Perfect Story. And she's like a master storyteller, story seller. <clears throat> but the craziest thing that happened was we were having a conversation 
about, you know, about (coughs) there's so many ways to talk about it. One of them is this concept of, you know, think with your heart, feel with your brain. Uh, She spoke about how, like, kind of, um, that there's like a, a slush fund of calories in your brain. And, and how when, when people are telling stories and trying to sell and, you know, even in these moments, like the brain is lazy. And if you are lazy, then the brain goes into even more lazy mode. And uh, so we spoke about kind of safe and expected versus unexpected and even unsatisfying. We spoke about the ending of the movie The Sopranos, uh, the series The Sopranos and Seinfeld and how unsatisfying it was. And then, you know, if life imitates art, we're right at the end of the episode and what happens is my computer crashes. And it's like never happened before. Like when I say the computer crashed, it's not that the just StreamYard, which is what I use, crashed. So I was like frantically troubleshooting, trying to figure out what's going on. Is it me? Is it my computer? Is it, you know, is it, is it Karen? Um, and I could not figure it out. And uh, eventually I kind of like realized that my computer was working, but it was just for some reason the connection to StreamYard uh, was not working. And so what happened was Karen, you know, like a consummate professional, she answers the question, it goes full screen because I'm gone, and she talks and she talks and then she pauses for a bit and she talks a little bit more and then she stops talking and she realizes, wait a second, something has happened. And so um, she kind of like pauses again and she um, she kind of says, hmm, I'm not sure, I, I, I don't think he's coming back. And lo and behold, I never came back. I couldn't get back in time. I was trying everything. I just posted the LinkedIn, I put a whole video clip together for it. And so eventually she turns around and she says, well, um, uh, I guess it's time. She like took over the show and she said like, well, I guess it's time to wind down, uh, wind down now. Thank you so much for watching today and uh, and it was really great to be on Joseph's show and talk with him. My name is Karen Eber and you can find me at KarenEber.com. Um, and, and then she basically said uh, there was all these awkward silences and pauses and then she just basically like X'd out. And I was able to come back. You almost see me coming back on my phone for some reason. Uh, and uh, if you go to the YouTube, you know, uh, if you look at it like on some of the other channels. So I put together this whole little clip um, that basically says when life imitated art, um, how we ended up with exactly a Sopranos type of ending where it just, I disappeared. No one knew what happened to me. And it was just absolutely classic. Um, and you know what? In that situation, she didn't panic. And even though I was the person, it was my show. And, you know, there's so many things I could have worried about and stressed about and fretted about, but I didn't. There's, there was no point in doing it. You know, I mean, a part of me was thinking, well, I have lost this entire conversation, which is just so unbelievable. Um, you know, part of me was thinking, like, like what's she going to say and everything? And I was like, look, I can't do anything about it. I can only influence what I can influence. And so bottom line was we actually ended up, it became an instant classic in my opinion. I said to her, you know, you should, you should show this clip in, in, in coaching classes now. Um, because this was just the classic example of what happens when things are not expected, how you can turn, um, like, you know, moments into opportunities. Um, so I put that link below, um, and you can watch it through my LinkedIn. Um, 
it's uh, it's really quite entertaining. Obviously, I interspersed a whole bunch of things, sopranos clips in there, and um, and little speech bubbles, and uh, and you know, I even got my Jeopardy music, which I think is here. Like while she's sitting waiting, so I was able to actually create, I think, a nice piece of content from there. And that also shows you that every moment in life is a content opportunity. I mean, not like if you think about it Machiavellian like that, but sometimes like these moments, these are teachable moments, these are these are unique moments. This is something that's never happened before and hopefully never will happen again. Um, but But I'll probably talk more about this moment than anything else. I mean, I've had over 600 episodes on my show. So it just shows you that when you kind of like, you know, accept that the universe is going to throw things at you, curveballs, things that are expected, unexpected, surprises, you know, it's up to you in terms of what you do with them. So that, to me, I would say was definitely a highlight uh, of the week. So, you know, it is meant to be like open mic, best of the week. If there's anything anyone wants to talk about or wants me to talk about, go for it. Otherwise, you know, we've got a couple of options today on these on these Fridays. One is um, have a shorter session. Um, just, you know, just the, the idea is it's like a check-in. It's like an opportunity just to wind down and talk about what went right and what didn't go right and, you know, um, and and commemorate and commiserate and, and celebrate um, or just, you know, pick my brain. If there's anything you want me to talk about, I can do that. Or, you know, as I said, uh, besides just ending the thing early, which is totally fine, um, we can actually just just keep reading the book. Um, So I'll give you, should I give you some music to think about? What do you think, Uh, Danny, Tim? What would you like me to do? End early, carry on reading the book. Have any questions? Want to come up? Put it in the chat. And your silence, your deafening silence, tells me that uh, I need to make up um, need to make up the decision for you, so I will. I'll keep. Uh, I think I'll keep reading the book. Hello to David Kim, uh, who just came in and uh, cannot read Arabic. So uh, hello to you, to uh, uh, to Marang uh, Zara's dot dot dot. Left me intrigued. So yeah, let's so let's keep reading uh, for obsessions. And find out uh, what happened to Jamie because I've been in, you know, I missed yesterday's session because I was at a an event. So uh, let's let's go back to this. So what's happening here is um, everyone uh, had performance reviews, which is something that Jamie had done. And what's happening is is people are now reading other people's performance reviews. And what's really happening is there's a lot of positivity. It's a bit of a love fest. It's um, quite constructive, you know, not much criticism, but, but constructive. So um, so let's keep going. Uh, and I'll just go back a little bit, um, you know, um, a little bit uh, early, earlier. One by one, the other executives read the summaries for their colleagues. Discussion was lively but relatively painless. 
because most of the feedback was positive. Any initial suspicions that they had had about the accuracy of the data were overwhelmed by the supportive complementary nature of the comments they received. The meeting had turned into a veritable love fest. Rich, too, had wondered about the relative absence of constructive feedback. But given Jamie's eroding situation and the success of the past two days, he decided that to address the issue would be an unnecessary distraction. Another time would be more appropriate. So he decided to sit back and enjoy heaping well-deserved praise on his staff members. Only two members had yet to be reviewed, Jamie and Rich, who would go last. Now, by the way, Rich is the founder of the company, the CEO, and Jamie is the head of HR now who is this problem hire. Tom would be reading Jamie's data, and before he began, the room seemed to tense up a bit. Jamie, too, seemed nervous, but in a likable kind of way. In fact, he was working the audience for any amount of preemptive sympathy he could get. Mark tried to break the tension with a quick question, one that he genuinely was curious about. Excuse me, Tom, before you start, I'd like to know how this data was analyzed. I'm just curious about the process. Mark was careful to word the question in a way that did not sound like an attack on Jamie. Jamie stuttered for just a moment. Well, the data is computer tabulated, of course, and then Sophia, my new communication specialist, goes through it to identify trends and consistent themes. She's done plenty of these before. Rita wrote something down on a pad of paper. Mark smiled. Thanks, Jamie. Go ahead, Tom. Tom began. There are three primary pieces of feedback that were evident in Jamie's data. First, it says here that everyone acknowledges the level of experience and expertise you bring to the team. Second, you put a lot of time and effort into your work. Jamie was trying to seem pleasantly surprised by the feedback. And third, more than one of us mentioned that you could probably voice your opinions more often. An awkward pause followed Tom's last sentence. Jamie knew when to step in. I'd like to discuss the last point with you if I could. Everyone nodded enthusiastically. Jamie took the floor. He spent the next 15 minutes talking about how impressed he was by the quality of his colleagues, including Rich. Deftly walking the line between praise and gratuitousness, he explained how he felt humbled by their years of experience in the industry and his relative lack of involvement in Telegraph's history. Finally, Jamie assured them that he was working hard to cultivate a full appreciation of the culture and that he would soon begin to take more risks with his opinions and push his colleagues out of their comfort zones. He certainly had learned to mirror the vocabulary of his peers, if not their attitude. By the time he had finished, Jamie's colleagues felt compelled to offer him encouragement instead of constructive input. They served up hollow phrases like, Give yourself a little time, and we all have the advantage of knowing one another. Rich thought his team had gone a little soft, but again didn't want to create any waves. So close, so close to the end of what was generally a, oh, so close to the end of what was generally a very positive meeting. Finally, when the discussion had run its course and Jamie felt sufficiently propped up, he turned to Rich. Look, uh, he turned to Rich, looking at his watch. Well, we have 15 minutes. I'll be reading Rich's review. Jamie took out a pair of reading glasses and looked down on the page in front of him. All right, it says here that there are four major themes in Rich's feedback. He paused for a moment as though he was scanning the content of the page before he began. Okay, it says that Rich is extremely committed to the firm and works hard for what he believes is right. Jamie paused to let his boss take in the praise. It also says that he knows the business extremely well. Tom nodded both to corroborate the message and to support Jamie. 
Suddenly Jamie frowned, as if to distance himself from what he was about to read. But according to the data, he needs to trust the judgment of his staff a lot more and be less dogmatic. Silence. The stark contrast between Rich's abrupt summary and that of the others was obvious to everyone in the room. Although the volume of constructive comments in Rich's review was not necessarily surprising, it seemed harsh relative to that of his peers. Rich could not decide whether to be hurt or angry, and if anger were his choice, who would be his target? He chose neither. After all, he was not afraid of receiving tough feedback from his people. He genuinely welcomed their input. Over the years, they had developed a strong team precisely by creating an atmosphere of frank, naked phrases, uh, of frank, naked feedback. How could he feel wrong by this relatively innocuous piece of information? But he could not deny that he did. Jamie, who seemed genuinely concerned about the awkward situation that his boss was in, broke the silence. He demonstrated a confidence that surprised everyone. Okay, it looks like there are a few things to talk about here. Who wants to start? After yet another awkward pause, Tom felt the need to salvage the situation for both Rich's and Jamie's sakes. As usual, I'll go first. There was nervous laughter in the room, something extremely rare for the group. I'm not sure what everyone else was thinking, but I suppose, Rich, that you could give us the benefit of the doubt a little more often. Although I have to say that I don't really see this as a problem, and I'm not just kissing your behind. The welcome moment of genuine laughter quickly dissipated. Rita chimed in. I don't want to speak for everyone else, but I might have written something in my feedback about you having strong opinions. Jamie could now see the possibility of relief, and he couldn't help himself. He drove the wedge in a little further. Come on now, folks. This information comes from all of you, so let's not pretend we don't, we don't own it. Janet hadn't spoken yet, and she didn't want to seem as if she was holding anything back. Well, I'm not sure I wrote this in the questionnaire, but I do think you could have let Mark and me figure out the billing problems last quarter instead of having Tom uh, step in. Every once in a while, I wonder if you think we've got our clients under control. Mark nodded, though without much enthusiasm. Rich took in their comments with his usual thoughtfulness, but instead... He felt as if something very bad had just happened, and he didn't know how to deal with it because any suspicions, any suspicious or defensive reaction on his part would only serve to corroborate the report. So, as painful as it was to do, he remained silent. Jamie now stepped in. Listen, folks, I'm afraid we're out of time, and the shuttle back to the office is going to be leaving in 10 minutes, so let's be sure to pick this up again sometime early next week. We don't want to let it go without resolution. Again, he seemed genuinely concerned about the unfortunate timing. No one could have known that deep inside he was happier than he had been since joining the firm. Unraveling. As hard as they tried, the team was not able to schedule a follow-up meeting to continue the discussion of Rich's 360-degree feedback. Every time someone proposed a time, at least one person on the staff had a scheduling conflict. Usually it was Jamie. As each day went by, the momentum around having the meeting faded. The momentum around having the meeting faded. Unfortunately, the bizarre dynamic that had developed during those last 15 minutes in Napa did not. In fact, over the course of the next month, it began to take on a life of its own. Now, for those of you that are um, that have been also reading crucial conversations. On Tuesday, we've been doing that, 
And, you know, just with, like next week I'm coaching on Tuesday and Friday. So we'll have to like move crucial conversations. Maybe we'll move that to Wednesday. But the issue of the concept of lag, of time lag, um, is, is absolutely coming into play here. Remember, crucial conversation is two different points of view, like, like different points of view. Um, uh, the second, uh, idea was um, high stakes, and the third is emotions run high. And what we've learned is that the worst thing that can happen is uh, to let time go by, and that's what's happening now. And I'm wondering whether Jamie's doing that actually on purpose. For the first time in his entire career, Rich was feeling just a little uncomfortable when he ran into his colleagues in the halls. Although barely perceptible, it was undeniable to his staff that Rich had lost some level of confidence. Although he would never sulk, his words and actions seemed more forced than they had been in almost five years. The impact of the subtle change manifested itself in troubling ways. For one, decisions seemed to be taking longer during weekly meetings. Even the frequency of communication from Rich to employees began to fade somewhat, and it lost much of its crispness as Jamie's new communication specialist took on more of the responsibilities for deciding when and how much information to disseminate. And there were other subtle but unsettling signs of change. Telegraph's stringent hiring process began to lose some of its teeth as Jamie made adjustments, as he called them, always based on a legal issue of some sort. Rita, beaten down by occasional lawsuits, tended to back Jamie on these matters, giving him just the momentum he needed. With the confidence that came from his newfound job security, Jamie even managed to chip away at a small part of the firm's performance management system, reducing some of the autonomy that managers had in rewarding employees with performance bonuses and decreasing the frequency of mandatory reviews. He advocated these changes in the name of greater management flexibility. Of course, none of this would have been possible under normal circumstances, but the incremental nature of the changes combined with Rich's slightly damaged confidence, kept the group from realizing what was happening and stopping it. It wasn't until more than two months after the annual off-site meeting when Rita and Mark met with Rich to discuss the final details of the Walnut Creek acquisition that the severity of the situation hit home with the Telegraph executive team. During that meeting, Rich did something that they had never seen, he backed off a major strategic decision. Mark, why don't you do a little more analysis before making any commitments to these people? He stood to leave the meeting. You guys can make the decision without me. Just let me know what you decide. After the meeting, Rita and Mark agreed that it was spooky to see their boss being unsure of himself, even weak. They decided they wanted to do something about it, but they didn't know what. The next week, two things happened that proved to be the wake-up call Telegraph needed. And this section is called Cold Water. Staff meetings since the offside session had become less and less crisp. Although Richard began to restore some of his outwardly positive disposition, the group knew that his passion and enthusiasm were not what they had come to expect. Still, decisions were being made and work was getting done. At the end of one of those meetings, Janet stood to make a statement. Before we break... I have two pieces of news to give you, neither of which is good. Shed everyone's attention. First, Mark and I just learned that we might be losing Trinity as a client. Tom's face went white. What? I thought that Amy and her team had that under control. 
Mark explained, so did I, so, and so did Amy. She spoke to Andrew O'Brien, who said that they, they're just not sure they're getting the same value from the relationship anymore. I guess one of their people told Amy that they've been disappointed that they haven't seen any of our senior people lately. Rich shook his head. Janet, let's have a meeting tomorrow to figure out a plan to fix this. You and Tom and I should, should all be there. We can call Andrew and straighten this out. Janet looked down. Well, that brings me to the next thing I wanted to say. She looked up at the group and there were tears in her eyes. I'm going to be leaving the firm. No one spoke. Finally, Janet explained, Listen, you all know that Ron and I are moving out to Half Moon Bay and I've decided to change the direction of my career. I'm going to work from home, start my own business, consulting practice, and see what I can do. She paused to regain her composure. It's been a wonderful four years here, but I think it's a good time to move on. She sat down. Jamie, who seemed unaffected by the announcements, excused himself. I'm sorry, but I've got a benefits meeting to get to. I'll talk to you about exit plans later, Janet. She nodded to him as he left. Rita looked as though she was about to explode. She gathered her things quickly and without, any, and without looking at anyone left the room. Tom and Rich exchanged glances. Moment of truth. Within 12 hours, there was an email message from Rita in every executive's inbox calling a dinner meeting at a nearby restaurant in North Beach for the following Friday evening. She indicated that the subject of the meeting would be resolving Rich's 360-degree feedback discussion. She also announced that she had already checked with everyone's assistant to make sure they were free. I look forward to seeing you all there. The note closed. After seeing Rita's expression as she left the staff meeting, no one dared complain. Three months earlier, it would have been ludicrous to think that the Telegraph executive team was dreading a meeting to discuss a difficult topic. But now it was a reality and no one was dreading the experience more than Rich. Not one to shirk responsibilities or avoid unpleasantness, the CEO arrived 15 minutes early. He found a small private banquet room at La, Fe La Felce and sat at the, at the long table by himself. La Felce, I should say, and sat at the long table by himself. In his hands, he held the faded yellow list that had been taped to his desk for the past five years. He had removed it and brought it with him in the hope that it might provide some level of guidance. Though he had vowed to hide his demeanor from his people, Rich felt defeated. The next ten minutes ticked by one second at a time. Finally, Tom, Rita and Mark shuffled in, followed, minute, fo uh, followed within minutes by Barry and Janet, who had, spoke, who had another three weeks before her departure. Tom spoke first. Okay, let's get started. Where's Jamie? Though he had asked the question, which seemed slightly disinterested in the answer, lost in his own thoughts. That's probably why I didn't hear Rita when she said, he's packing his office. Rich frowned, as though he didn't speak Rita's language. Excuse me? Rita clarified, matter-of-factly, he's leaving the firm. Suddenly a word's registered with Rich. What? That's right, we decided it was time for him to go. Rich interrupted, you fired him? Well, not exactly, she exclaimed. Uh, she explained. We went in to confront him this afternoon, but before we mentioned anything about him leaving, he resigned. Rich could see she was relieved, but he was confused. Just like that? He thought it over for a second and then asked the obvious question. 
Don't you think you should be telling? Don't you think you should tell me about something like that? We are telling you. Rich was a little annoyed. I mean, beforehand. Tom jumped in. Come on, Rich. Ever since the Napa offsite, everything's been so bizarre. You haven't been yourself these last two months. So last week, Rita and I decided that we had to deal with all of this right away. He paused, and we did something that we're not too proud of. Rich looked confused and concerned. Rita ex- ex- explained. We went to Sophia, Jamie's communication specialist, and made her show us the raw data from the 360-degree feedback. Rich winced at the idea of breaching the anonymity of the data. Believe us on this one, Tom defended. It was the right thing to do. Rita continued. Get this. The words trust and dogmatic were mentioned in your entire feedback report only once. Once, she repeated, holding up her index finger. Not having thought about the specific nature of the 360-degree summary report for almost two months, Rich seemed a little confused. Everyone else was smiling. They'd obviously discussed all of this before. What's so funny? Their boss asked. Rita blurted out, You were the one who mentioned it. She could see that he needed a little bit more clarification. Here is what you wrote about yourself. She looked down at her notes and read aloud. Sometimes I wonder if I trust them enough. Am I too dogmatic? Rita laughed. None of us wrote anything like that. Weeks of stress dissipated in laughter as the team realized the ridiculousness of the circumstances. As everyone settled down, the gravity of the dysfunctional situation hit them. So what exactly did he say, Rich wanted to know. Who? Jamie? Rita asked. Rich nodded, and Tom jumped in before Rita could respond. I've never seen anything like it. He basically told us that he didn't think he was a good cultural fit here. And you know what? I think he actually meant it. Rita agreed. Then he shook my hand and Tom's, and he asked us to apologize to you. She paused. That's pretty much it. Rich took it all in, still digesting the entirety of the situation, until something crossed his mind. Wait a second. How come you guys didn't speak up during that hellish conversation in Napa? Why did you let me go through all of why did you let me go through all of all that? Janet ex- explained. Think about it from our perspectives, Rich. We were as shocked as you were, but I assume that maybe I was the only one who wasn't pissed at you. They laughed a little. Mark chimed in. Same here. How could we know for sure? And it wasn't like he made up the data. He just used the parts that you wrote about yourself, which made it that much more credible. Tom confessed. And I have to admit that I didn't want to put Jamie on the spot, especially in front of you. We all wanted to find a way to help the poor bastard succeed. I certainly wasn't comfortable accusing him of tweaking the data. Rita teased Tom. Come on, you just didn't want to have to do the HR job again. He laughed. Anyway, the way I see it, this is largely your fault. He was looking at Rich, who seemed confused. You should have insisted on interviewing the guy, Tom smiled, and then added. And I'm only half joking. Rich nodded. Mark asked a question that everyone was thinking. So what's a guy like Jamie going to do now? Rita rolled her eyes. Oh, I'm sure a guy like that has a backup plan. Little did they know. And that takes us to part three, Green's opportunity. Now, remember, Green is the, is the other consulting firm. So I think it's fairly obvious where Jamie is going. Uh, yeah, let's read a little bit more. I'll just have a sip of 
of coffee. Reacquaintance. Jamie had an amazing ability to compartmentalize his thoughts. And within hours of leaving Telegraph, he set his mind on getting his career back on track. He had survived the better part of a year with Rich O'Connor, and he was determined to take advantage of the fact in some way. His first call was to Vince Green. Jamie believed he had a receptive target, and so the message he left on Vince's voicemail was to the point. I've left Telegraph and would like to revisit the possibility of working with you at Greenwich. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. He left his home phone number. When he first received Jamie's message, Vince didn't plan on responding at all. But three days later, when the organization development consultant ended her presentation about Telegraph's culture, Vince's interest in Jamie Bender was suddenly revived. Now, where did I put that phone number? After calling and making arrangements to meet Jamie the next morning, Vince decided not to get his hopes too high about what he would learn. Part of him felt guilty about talking to Jamie, so he vowed that he would toss him out, out of his office if he mentioned anything that remotely resembled a trade secret or intellectual property. He hoped that his desperation would allow him to keep that vow. Vince arrived at his office in a positive frame of mind, but as he waited the 30 minutes before, Jamie's, Jamie, before Jamie arrived, he found himself losing patience and self-respect. Vince reflected on the past five years and his growing frustration as a leader. He thought hard, as he had done many times before, about why his firm lagged Telegraph and what had kept him from overtaking his rival. It certainly is an intelligence, he thought to himself. Few people match Vince's intellect and analytical abilities when it came to business and consulting in particular, and it can't be my work ethic. Vince worked brutally long hours. A few years later, he had heard rumors about Rich's about Rich O'Connor's new manageable schedule and decided that it would be just a matter of time before Telegraph paid the price for its leader's softness. When that didn't happen, Vince rededicated himself to an even more rigorous schedule, which only intensified his frustration as well as his disdain for Rich O'Connor. At the time of, of the meeting, at, at the time of the meeting when Jamie, with Jamie, uh, Sorry, as the time of the meeting with Jamie approached, Vince became even more desperate to find the answer that he had been searching for. He entertained a hopeful, a hopefully absurd notion that if he could only solve this puzzle before Jamie arrived, he could cancel the meeting and preserve a, 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 a modicum of dignity. And then the intercom sounded, Vince, your nine o'clock appointment is here. Contact. Jamie had always envisioned meeting Green at a small hotel or obscure restaurant. But now that he had left Telegraph, he had no problem going directly to the Greenwich office, offices. In fact, it was something of a relief to be out in the open. When Jamie arrived for the meeting, he half expected Green to be waiting at the front door of the building. He went upstairs and announced his arrival to the receptionist and sat down to read the Wall Street Journal as he waited. Spotting Jamie from across the room, Vince noted immediately that he seemed to have aged since he had seen him just a year earlier. The place must have worked the guy over, he thought. Hello, Jamie. Vince interrupted Jamie's reading. With a le level of confidence that Vince had not yet had not remembered, Jamie returned his greeting. Well, hello there, Vince. It's good to see you again. 
Vince invited Jamie into his stylish office and, and motioned for him to sit in one of the leather chairs that afforded a view of Alcatraz and Angel Island. Jamie couldn't help but marvel at the difference between the two executive offices, and Green seemed to know what he was thinking. Yes, I've heard all about the austerity of O'Connor's office. If I hear one more thing about how frugal they are over there, Jamie joked, I'll make sure to leave that part out. Green laughed and searched for something to say. Well, right. Well, it's good to see you again, Jamie, although I have to tell you I was pretty disappointed last year when you turned down our offer. Jamie smiled sheepishly. What can I say? We all make mistakes. Green was an easier target for Jamie's wiles. Wiles? Wiles? Wiles. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I think it's Wiles. Then Rich. Lesson learned. Even Vince thought his response sounded like a, a ridiculous cliché. Jamie broke the ice. So how is your VP of HR working out? Is there a chance that I might be helpful around here? He'd done enough research to know the answer to that question. Vince and his staff were looking to make a change. Listen, we're always looking for good people. But I would be surprised if you were legally free to come, to come work here for a while. Jamie smiled. Nope. Telegraph placed no restrictions on my ability to work with a competitor. Vince was surprised. Well, that's good news. He felt that the moment was now right to set the moral stage for the discussion that was about to take place. But of course you know that if you did join us, I would insist that you not bring any proprietary information about Telegraph with you. And that goes for today's meeting too. Jamie reacted with feigned astonishment. Absolutely, I'm a fanatic about ethical details. Vince thought his response was a little too strong, but with the moral and legal dancers out of the way, he was dying to dive in. So what exactly happened over there anyway? Jamie took a deep breath and smiled. He had rehearsed this line. That is one bizarre company, let me tell you. Vince felt the need to begin the conversation with intellectual integrity, and so he challenged Jamie. Well, they must be doing something right. Even he couldn't believe that he was defending Telegraph, but he would not let his need for for consolation overwhelm his desire to know the truth. Jamie knew how to spot a man's anguish, and so he offered his potential boss a bone. Yes, they are, but that's the thing. I've looked beneath the covers, and there isn't much to see. They're not doing anything that you couldn't do tomorrow. Jamie decided to exaggerate a little to keep Vince on the hook. It worked. What do you mean? And again, I'm assuming you're not talking about confidential. Shaking his head, Jamie responded before Vince could finish the sentence. No, nothing like that. It's really quite simple. Embarrassingly so, if you ask me. Vince was ready to burst with curiosity, but he tried hard to conceal his desperation. With a sense of detached interest, he he pursued the issue. Really? Tell me about that. Well, it all has to do with a yellow sheet of paper that Richard Connor keeps on his desk. It's really just a checklist of sorts. A few concepts that he calls his four disciplines. And from what I could tell, the man is obsessed with them. He uses those disciplines to run his life. Jamie seemed to be mocking and admiring his former boss all at once. A checklist? Vince was intrigued and suddenly lost any sense of subtlety that he had tried to maintain before. What's on it? Jamie decided to play with the desperate executive for just a minute. Well, very few people actually know much about it. Immediately, he could see Vince begin to panic at the thought that Jamie did not know the contents of the list. But uh, not wanting to alienate a future employer, he let him off the hook. 
but I do. <coughs> Excuse my... Who wants to hear what discipline number one is? Let's see. Um, we're 55% into the book, one hour 50 left, so we can probably hammer this thing out in two more. So let's see. Yeah, let's keep going. Discipline one. Jamie had decided that he would not just recite the list of disciplines for a suitor. That would diminish the fun. Instead, he would describe the unusual behaviors of Rich and his staff and let Vince look for the thread or theme. He all but announced this to Vince, who reluctantly agreed and then buzzed his assistant. Tracy, please clear my morning. That's right, until after lunch. Thanks. He hung up the phone. Let's get started. Jamie sat forward in his chair and seemed genuinely excited to be sharing all of this with Vince. You would not believe the way these people act during meetings. I've never seen anything like it, and I've worked at a lot of different places. Vince cracked a smile. What do they do? He was quietly relieved to know that someone, anyone, thought that telegraph was weird. They argue constantly. Vince was surprised. Really? It was a rhetorical statement more than a question, but Jamie answered it anyway. Oh yeah, they don't miss any opportunities to argue. Their meetings are like internal family feuds. Someone is always getting upset about something and people yell and shout. It reminded me of some cousins of mine, Irish and Italians. Vince thought about his own staff meetings and wondered aloud. I bet they're not boring at least. Jamie laughed. No, boring isn't a word I'd use to describe Rich's meetings. He noticed that just using Rich's name made Vince shrink a little. How do they get anything done? Before Jamie could respond, Vince added, and how do they avoid killing each other? That's the crazy part. These people argue like brothers and sisters, then they seem to forget about the argument ten minutes later, just like my cousins. One of them would have a bloody nose, and the next thing you know, they're laughing. Vince was stunned. Jamie quickly clarified, I was talking about my cousins. I never saw anyone at Telegraph punch someone in the nose. Vince smiled. Although I did think that Rita was going to cold cop Tom a few times. Really? Well, not exactly, but she used to get upset at him on a fairly regular basis. She actually called him an, an, oss, an ass one night during a long meeting. Tom is the COO, right? Jamie nodded, and Rita is the legal counsel. Vince knew that. Right, so the two of them didn't get along so well. That could be pretty difficult, given their respective... Jamie interrupted. No, I never said they didn't get, get along. In fact, they worked very closely together. They just always seem to fight during meetings. About what? Budgets, clients, employees, you name it. Petty stuff? Jamie had to think for a moment. No, they didn't spend much time on petty topics during meetings. Usually it was something fairly important. Vince was confused. So how did they make decisions? The loudest one wins? Jamie laughed. No, because Tom would have won them all. What they would do is argue for a while and then someone, often rich, would make everyone step back from the issue and cast a vote. So they voted on everything. No, not really. Ultimately, Rich would make decisions when there was no clear answer, but usually they came to a fairly quick consensus. Somehow the arguing seemed more like fact-finding than advocacy. It was strange. Vince could see that beneath all of his disparagement, Jamie admired his former colleagues. This one frustrated Vince and made him impatient. 
So what exactly is the first discipline? I haven't finished describing. This time Vince interrupted. Listen, just tell me what the first discipline is and then you can describe it all you want. Vince had a way of demanding something that made a person not want to test him. Jamie smiled to conceal his momentary fear and then relented. Build and maintain a cohesive leadership team. Excuse me? That's the first discipline. Build and maintain a cohesive leadership team. Vince thought about it for a moment. That's it? He seemed suddenly confident and, judge, and judgmental. Well, that's the way Rich describes it, but there is a lot more to it than that. Vince took a deep breath and reminded himself what he was after. Like what? Well, they did something called the Myers-Briggs. You've probably heard of it. Vince nodded. Yeah, I think I did something like that in graduate school. I don't remember exactly. Jamie was suddenly animated again. Well, it's actually pretty interesting. You take a 20-minute test and then get a report back that tells you how you make decisions and organize things. Vince was frowning. Sounds pretty squishy to me. Well, it can be, but over there they use it to understand each other. Everyone knows everyone else's Myers-Briggs type, and they refer to it all the time. And that's good because... Vince let Jamie finish the sentence for him. Well, for one, it helps them avoid making judgments about each other, and it gives them a vocabulary for pointing out each other's flaws. They used to give Tom a hard time for being such an extrovert and Rita for being a J, which is basically the Myers-Briggs way of saying she was anal retentive. Now Vince was totally lost. Jamie explained. See, when Rich thought about making his team cohesive, he wanted them to know one another well enough so that they didn't hold back anything. Those people really do act like brothers and sisters, and when a difficult issue has to be discussed, no one hesitates, not for a minute. Vince turned sarcastic. So these people were perfect, basically. Not at all. I think some of them are peculiar, but one thing I have to say about them is that not once did I ever hear them say anything negative about a member of the team. Oh, come on, Vince was incredulous. You didn't let me finish. I said I never heard them say anything that they wouldn't say directly to the person. Vince nodded, as if to say, oh, I get it. It all seemed to be sinking in now. Jamie continued, as unusual as they were, those people cared about one another. And I suppose that if you liked them, that would be okay. For me, it was too much. Jamie didn't seem to believe the last part of his own statement. For the first time, Vince saw a clear picture of Jamie's insecurity. He actually felt bad for him and decided to help him move on. So what's the second discipline, Jamie? Discipline two. Jamie stood and walked over to an oak cabinet that hung on the wall near Vince's desk. He opened it and, as expected, found a whiteboard covered with text and graphs. Can I erase this? Vince looked over the contents of the board. Yeah, go ahead. After neatly and methodically erasing the entire board, Jamie wrote the first discipline. Discipline one, build and maintain a cohesive leadership team. Unfortunately for Vince, Jamie sat set down his pen before writing the second one. Jamie walked to the window and stared out toward the bay, as though he were looking for discipline two somewhere in the tide. The second discipline seemed extremely common, but the way they go about it is anything but. Are you going to make me guess this one? Vince asked dryly. Jamie thought about it. No, it would be too hard to explain that way. He returned to the whiteboard and wrote the words. Discipline 2. Create organizational clarity. 
Vince was disappointed. There must be more to it. Jamie half smiled. Yes, there is. Essentially, it's about eliminating confusion within the company, especially at the executive level. level. What kind of confusion? Important things like the company's identity, direction, strategy, objectives, roles, and responsibilities. You're right, it sounds common. I don't know a single company that doesn't do this. Jamie nodded. I agree. Sometimes it seemed that they thought they were more clever than they really are. Do they think their competitors don't know these things? Jamie's rhetorical question made Vince stop and think. How well did Rich's executive team know them? Oh, they knew them, and they talked about them all the time. How so? If they had a difficult time making a decision, they'd refer to their values, or their mission, or their strategy. Did they have the stuff plastered all over the place? Jamie rolled his eyes. No, I tried to get them to make a poster, but Rich refused. His people just knew the stuff inside out. I tell you, they were like a cult. Vince didn't think that sounded so bad. How many of my executives could recite our strategy, our objectives, our values, he thought. Do we even have values? Jamie went to the board and wrote a list next to the second discipline. Identify values, mission, major goals, objectives, roles, and responsibilities. I think that's it, Jamie said. In any case, I don't think it's such a big deal. Vince did. He copied what, what Jamie had written onto a legal pad, then asked, What exactly do they mean by identity? Jamie responded without really thinking. Well, their identity is all about, Vince interrupted, Well, I don't want to know any of their information. That's their business. Jamie seemed genuinely embarrassed about having almost shared confidential information, even if that information was not terribly sensitive. He changed course. Identity is about the company's hiring values and its underlying motivation. Vince nodded. Like core purpose and core values from Built to Lost, he pointed to a copy of the book on his, uh, on his shelf. So they actually pay attention to that stuff. Yes, they do, but I think too much. After a while, it gets old. That's the point, Vince thought. How did they use the values? Jamie rolled his eyes again. How didn't they? They talked about these values, those values all the time. But the place where it seemed most critical was in hiring. They were fanatics. Go on. Well, first of all, Rich insisted on being involved in the hiring of all senior people. He was considered the cultural filter, and virtually the only thing he looked for in a candidate was cultural fit. How exactly did he do that, and how did you slip through the cracks, he wanted to ask. Anyone who interviewed a candidate had to evaluate the person in terms of the company's values. When they talked about a potential new hire, they talked about the values, and during interviews, they asked behavioral questions to see if the candidate could cite examples that demonstrated that he or she fits the values. Vince was silent, and Jamie tried to read his mind. You're probably wondering why they hired me. Vince shook his head, but was quietly hoping Jamie would answer the question. Rich was on vacation, Jamie said. After a brief pause, the two men snorted with laughter. Now, fascinated by, by what he was learning, Vince persisted. What about this other stuff, roles and responsibilities? How did they deal with that? Jamie raised his eyebrows. Now, I have to admit that this part was pretty impressive. Rich would list the major objectives for each quarter on a board, and then he'd asked, and then, and then he'd ask everyone to think of every possible thing that had to happen for each goal to be reached. When they'd exhausted every activity, they divided them up among staff and began the individual goal-setting process there. 
Vince made a few notes. What happened when they didn't agree on the goals or when someone didn't like the role they... Vince stopped himself when he saw Jamie pointing to discipline one. Right. Jamie continued, As a result of the clarity that around roles and responsibilities, things really slipped through the cracks, and people didn't step on each other's toes too often. Out of nowhere, Vince asked Jamie, Can you help us do this? You seem desperate now. Jamie was a little surprised by the pointed question. Sure, I guess. If that's what you want to do, I'm sure you're doing most of this already. Vince allowed himself a moment of self-preservational dishonesty. Oh yeah, we are, but this might be an interesting approach to try. Jamie shrugged and nodded. Suddenly Vince seemed skeptical again, as though he had just discovered a flaw in Telegraph system. Wait a second. So far all, you're t- all you've talked about is Telegraph's executive team. How does this stuff work its way into the rest of the organization? Jamie smiled. That's where discipline three and four come into play. And I'm going to end it there for today. We will continue this live read um, in the Collective Cafe on Thursday. Normally we do this book on Thursday, and then on Tuesday we are doing crucial conversations. This Tuesday I have a coaching session myself, um, so we may move things around. I might do crucial conversations on Wednesday and back to four obsessions on Thursday. So if you want to hear about obsessions three and four, please join us. Um, on Thursday morning. In fact, we're here Monday through Friday, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in the Collective Cafe, which is Startup Clubhouse. And uh, just, you know, ring the, set up the bell to Startup Club, uh, put the bell on me, um, and also in discord.gg forward slash alpha collective. Have an amazing day. Have an amazing weekend. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.